This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon offered on the second Sunday in Lent, February 28, 2021, at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Greensboro, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Jesus foretells of his death. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Billy Holiday, a blues and jazz singer, was about 23 years old the first time she sang the song that would change her life. In 1939, in a club in New York City, Holiday prepared for the last song of the night. She had told the waiters ahead of time to stop their work to not serve at the tables during the last song. She had the room go black except for a spotlight that shone on her face. And then she sang in the soft, raw, familiar voice that would make her famous, the words, Southern trees bear a strange fruit. When the song was finished, the spotlight turned off, and when the stage lights came on, Holiday was gone. There was no encore, no applause. The crowd was just left to linger in the uncomfortable images of the song that they had just heard. People had to remember that song, Strange Fruit, had to let it get inside them and burn with it. The song began as a poem written by a Jewish man in New York a few years before who was haunted by a photograph of a lynching he had seen. He described Holiday's performance of the song particularly juxtaposed with her usual set of blues standards as being able to jolt an audience out of its complacency anywhere. The song would haunt Billie Holiday and her audiences. It would put her at odds with the federal government that demanded that she stop performing the song out of concern for the effect that it would have on white and black audiences. And even though she would go to jail would struggle with drug and alcohol abuse, lose her livelihood, she still was determined to find a way to sing this song until her death at the age of 44. After her death, or during her life, her, this song found great commercial and critical success and has now been considered one of the most important songs of the 20th century in America. If you haven't heard it, I suggest you look it up and give it a listen so that you can hear how such a beautiful song can be created about such a horrific act. In recent years in our country, we have begun to wrestle with the violence that was perpetrated in this country. We have started to see the entanglement of these acts of violence with systemic oppression and injustice, and we are fortunate that we continue to have artists that translate that terrible history into chilling beauty. If you travel down to Montgomery, the Equal Justice Initiative has created the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which is the first memorial to lynching in America. 
The centerpiece of the monument is a structure that suspends 800 steel rectangles to represent the counties in the United States where racial lynchings took place, and each is engraved with the names of the victims. As you enter the main portion of the monument, the columns are hanging at about eye level, but as you move further into the monument, you begin to descend, and your eyes have to ascend to see the columns that are rising above you and suspended over your head. It is truly a beautiful monument marking such horrific acts that are part of our history. Theologian James Cone says that in America, the cross and the lynching tree interpret each other. Cone writes that both were public spectacles, shameful events, instruments of punishment reserved for the most despised people in society. To understand the Christian gospel, we have to grasp the scandal of the cross. And one way to do that is to grasp the scandal of the lynching tree. Now we like to confine the cross to Good Friday, typically. That is the day that we come to church prepared to be made uncomfortable by the central symbol of our faith. But the gospel of Mark is not willing to let us off the hook so easily. In our passage, from this morning, Jesus puts the cross as the defining event of the good news of Christ and an essential part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be killed and after three days rise again. And before you think it's just Jesus that has to face the cross, he says, if any, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It might help to get ourselves orientated a bit in this reading because we're dropped in in the midst of a story. Right before this, Peter has answered Jesus's question correctly by saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And as soon as Jesus then starts explaining to Peter what that actually means, Peter tells Jesus to be quiet and to stop saying what he's saying. Jesus' response is harsh and quick. Get behind me, Satan. Interestingly enough, in the Gospel of Mark, Satan doesn't have a speaking part like he does in the other Gospels in the temptation in the wilderness, right? That's gone from Mark's Gospel. In fact, throughout Mark, all the demons that speak acknowledge Jesus as the Holy One. The closest thing that we get to Satan's temptations giving words is Peter's challenge to Jesus to abandon the way of the cross. I think for us on this side of Easter, it's hard to understand how Peter could turn so quickly. We already know the ending of the story. We have turned the cross into something that is comforting, an ornament that we wear around our necks, that we put on our fancy robes and hang on our altars. But for Peter, in that moment when Jesus said that the Messiah must suffer and die, Jesus was contradicting everything Peter had ever learned about the Messiah. He was undoing all of Peter's expectations. 
And so Peter goes from Jesus, you are the Messiah, to you need to shut your mouth because what he heard Jesus saying was that God's revelation would come through the worst sort of death, a criminal's death on a shameful tree. The cross for Peter was the utmost cruelty. It was the exact opposite of everything Peter understood God to be. When Peter considered the cross, he could only see defeat and humiliation and a shameful death. He could not see what Jesus knew, that through the cross the world would be turned upside down and that the symbol of defeat would become the path to hope. That in rising again, Jesus would defeat the powers of this world in death. Cone says that Americans need to interpret the cross in light of the lynching tree so that we can once again experience the shock and horror that Peter felt in this moment. Both the cross and the lynching tree show us the worst that human beings are capable of. But at the same time, these symbols have been transformed and shown that as part of our very being, that life refuses to let the worst thing in this world be our final definition. I think when we consider this story and Jesus' challenge that we are to take up our cross and follow him, when we consider the work of EJI and an artist like Billie Holiday, when we consider the cross in light of the lynching tree, we get a better understanding of what it means to be a disciple. It's not just about enduring suffering or pain or disappointment, but it's about actively seeking out those places in the world where injustice and oppression are found and then transforming them. The lynching tree reminds us that the work of the cross didn't stop 2,000 years ago, but is right here in our midst. The good news of Jesus is the cross. It's that anywhere that people struggle for justice and freedom and abundant life, Jesus is there. In a way, our call to be disciples, to be followers of Christ, is to become artists like Billie Holiday and the folks that made that monument for EJI. We're invited to find places of pain and injustice and to not let others look away then we are also called to transform the horrific into the beautiful, to find faith through doubt, to find hope through hopelessness, to live completely in the paradox that Jesus gives us that to save our life, we must lose it for the sake of the gospel. To be a follower of Christ is to live at the point where the cross and the lynching tree meet and to show that life can come from death. Amen.